All right. Hello, Idiots on Parade, the two ugly for TV podcast, the vodcast version, the bonus version with my musician friend, Barrett Antar Goodwin. Hello. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you, heart surgery friend? You know, I'm all right. I, I feel like I'm looking at myself here and I look like death warmed over because I'm not sleeping very well. I have a crazy amount of energy. Like, I feel good. But my body's tired. You know what I mean? Like I feel like my body's resting, even though I'm, my mind is alert. So you know, makes sense. Anyway, yeah. yeah but other than that, I'm good. Good. Do you ever take waking naps? I don't even know what that means. I just so, like I maybe? sit in a lounge chair for maybe ten minutes, close my eyes, and my mind is active, and I can't fall asleep. But I do just rest my body, and I feel recharged after. Ah. You know, it's just sort of a, yes. a meditative, but sort of just, just yeah. a quiet zone. Yeah, I have a, a few more weeks of R&R, kind of, you know, not chill and do nothing, but like nothing crazy strenuous. So half my day is spent laying around, listening to music, studying music, listening to podcasts taking online classes, doing whatever, you know, but like doing something that is really low physical activity. I'm not doing right. much physical activity these I days at all. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, like I, I walk to the grocery store and back because walking is really good, but that's the extent of it. All right. So, yeah. Well, uh, anyone watching, a uh, musician, Barrett Answer, go to had heart surgery a little while ago. That's what we're talking about. I am a comedian, Nathan Timmel, and we're old friends and we're going to talk. And uh, today we have a couple ideas of paths to go down. And it uh, began with a weird dream I had, which I don't really remember the details of, but I remember the starring characters. I was a bartender back in the day and in college. And I worked at a place called Benjamin Briggs in Milwaukee, which is long since gone. And there was a waitress there I thought was really attractive not thought she was really attractive um I, I i was attracted to her physically but i didn't you know it wasn't like oh man if only she would date me I, I i liked her but that's what it leads into is insecurity she was really attractive but i never really so how do i put this i never i i always thought like wow she's out of my league there's no way i would ever end up with someone like her um but there was a, a line cook who was a scuzzy guy, as line cooks tend to be. Um, they're not. No of, offense to any line cooks watching. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Ryan Reynolds movie. <laughs> waiting. There, there's a reason they put Dane Cook in fake tattoos and made him a little. Uh, yeah, they're 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 not waiters for a reason. Um, they're <laughs> release or, you know, going to trying to test for their GED. You know who you are, line cooks. There's a reason you're not a chef. <laughs> Spend the rest of the podcast shitting at line cooks. Anyway, this this guy, he was, he was a goofy scuzzy. And uh, he'd talk to me um, during downtimes and be like, oh, she's so hot, man. I, I want to, I wanna, you know, I'm going to hook up with her. I'm going to, I'm going to hook up with her. And I kept thinking at the time, you're delusional. She is so out of your league. There's no way you'll ever hook up with her. And as far as I know, they never hooked up. But as I got older and this, this, the dream I had that had them in it, like, wow, why am I thinking about this old restaurant? I don't remember the dream, but I remember the coming away from it going, who cares if he was delusional to have that kind of confidence? I was insecure 
and just automatically taking a look at her and going, nope, she would never be with me. Look at me. I've seen me. I know. And he was going, yeah, I can, I can get that. I'm going to go for that. And I wish I had had a 10th of his confidence back in the day. Hmm. And it also made me remember, this was about the same time in my twenties. Um, I'm not going to name them a different restaurant. I worked at was it, were they both from the same restaurant? One. Yeah, they, they, they were a different restaurant I worked at. I actively remember um, making the decision that I'm not going to hit on women anymore because of the, the final two rejections that broke the camel's back, the straws, the, the, where it, I, I wasn't going to become an incel, but I actively remember having the thought, I'm going to let women approach me because that way, at least I know they're interested because I'm tired of getting rejected. I'm tired of like, uh, hey, I, I think you're kind of cool. Do you want to hang out? Nope, not, not with me. Of course not. Why would you want it with me? Look at me. I'm me. You know, I got tired of that. And I got really fucking lucky in that it worked for me in that my last three girlfriends and wife approached me. Now it was easy because I was on stage being a comedian and yappy yappy. So they'd like look and go, Oh, okay. I can talk to him. He's real, but you can't really do that as a software designer, or maybe you can with Tinder, if you just put yourself on a dating profile and see who responds. But, um, it, it all stemmed from insecurity. I got tired of rejection and I didn't want anything more to do with it. And only as like now, uh, a, an adult, and I, and I don't call myself an adult in my 20s, only now do I realize, A, I got really lucky, and B, I wish I'd have more confidence in my 20s. And I, I think it stemmed from being a teenager and moving a lot and losing friends every time I moved. And I, I never really wrapped my head around it, but there, there's something in there that just made me say, no one's ever going to be interested in me, so don't try. Wait for them to well. you know, approach you. Well, a lot to say about that, but like, I would argue that I believe, I don't know if this is true or not. So whatever, right? I make this shit up as I go along. Yeah. I believe that much of insecurity comes from not having your needs met at critical points in your life when you're a kid. Hmm. Like, meaning like, like you're you're often forced to put your needs secondary to other people's needs, right? And that makes you kind of believe that you are not as good as they are. Because when that shit happens to you at a young age, even if it's something like something simple, like there's an emergency going on, but you have this other thing that for as a kid is an emergency to you, but there's yeah. a legitimate emergency going on. And somebody tells you no to go deal with your, your little sister's real emergency. You feel like your sister's more important than you because you're five, you know what I mean? Or six or 10 or whatever. And that's a silly example, but I think that there's something about, like for me, it, my, what I would call my insecurity was that. It was my, my extreme willingness to allow for my needs to become second, to be second. You hmm. know what I mean? And yeah. I, can, I can absolutely remember how that happened. Like I can look back now as an adult and see how that happened. But 
just because I know how it happened doesn't mean it's necessarily easy to undo all of that. Like it takes a lot of conscious effort for me to undo a lot of that stuff I learned between zero and 10 at the ages in which you believe in Santa Claus. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, like we, like when we look at our, our, like the shame for me generally seems to come from looking back at my child self and thinking, how could you have fallen for that? Or how could you have believed that because of this? Right. But that's me looking at through as an adult and remember, like, you have to learn to like, this is where, forgiveness comes in right you have to forgive yourself yeah which we because just... again you would have believed in, you believed in the tooth fairy the easter bunny santa claus because you said something and i don't want to let it get away from me uh you said as an adult you look back and it takes a conscious effort and it does because slipping into old habits is the easiest thing in the world to do you can be absolutely. absolutely aware of a problem no matter what the problem is internal external and you you can acknowledge it but to confront it and deal with it that does take effort so i don't think there's any shame or blame in saying that it takes daily effort to overcome what you were just saying any of your any childhood bullshit because yeah. it's not bullshit it's very real and if that gets ingrained in you and even as you're saying that I think of all the shit in my childhood um, getting uh, you know abducted by my father when you know the, the divorce was going to happen as a I was used as a tool to keep my parents together um, as I already mentioned moving constantly and losing my friends and then I'm just spitballing here and I said it was going to be I thought it was going to be a short interrupt but now I'm just bombing <laughs> Um, when I got to seventh grade, I moved to a small community and, oh, this is funny. I got an email from an old high school classmate like three, four weeks ago. He said, Nathan, do you even remember who I am? And I wrote back, honestly, said, I remember your name. I do remember who you are. I don't remember you, but it's not you. I don't remember much. And she wrote back and said, I was just wondering because I didn't move to Oconomowoc until seventh or eighth grade. And by then the hierarchies had already been established. This small community had already built everything in kindergarten friendships. And Absolutely. I moved in seventh grade. So I, all the way through my senior year, like six years later, still felt like an outsider because, right. and, and I, I, I carried that with me into my twenties. Like, all right, these group of, this group of people don't accept me. Um, now that I'm gone and in a different city, why would I, you know, I just carried it with me. Why would anyone accept me? Why would, uh, you know, I, I, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Good one. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, no, I mean that, that's some interesting stuff. Now, let me ask you this. How do you, do you find, right? Like there's a saying, uh, something like if you want to get, if you want to, if you want to succeed, get used to the taste of failure, right? It's something like that. Like you're going to fail, you're going to fail forward, right? Is, is the modern term that you hear, like all the people talk about is failing forward. I you know? hate to go political, but yes, Donald Trump failed all the way into the presidency. I mean, <laughs> did nothing good for anyone and yet failed to immense success. I apologize. Let's not go political, but that was but, the uh, Well, <laughs> that's funny because I there's a lot to say about that too 
Um, but, but no, I, I think, and there's something to be said for that, you know, like learning how to play guitar and working on slide, like being a bass, being a drummer and then a bass player and then a bass player who plays guitar on a good level has kind of taught me that like, you know, once you learn, it's like languages, you can do multiple things, right? But what I have learned is that for me, you have to be willing to go through that suck period when you know you suck. The benefit of like learning how to play when we were teenagers is that we didn't know we sucked. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you might think, oh, whatever, I'm worthless and blah, like whatever teenage angst you have, right? But like, it's arguably the music that makes you feel better about yourself because you know you're killing it. Oh, <laughs> you know, you know the lifesaver when I was a teenager was being in a heavy metal cover band because that was that was the group that accepted me. Like, like right. when exactly. the outside exactly. world did right. not accept me, I I found a home. Right. And yeah, I think I told. Yeah. I, 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 why would I tell you this? Because it, it. But you <laughs> a Slayer concert back in the day. And you'd go into a mosh pit and people would be throwing elbows and you'd be having fun. But the instant you hit the floor, the instant you hit the floor, you had 10, 12 people grabbing you and picking you up. Oh. You're okay, good. And then shoving you again. Yeah. Like, because nobody wanted anyone to get hurt. We're, we were all beating yeah. the shit out of each other. But it was, for lack right. of their definition, controlled chaos. It, Heavy metal yeah. was my gang back right. then. It was my right. sound. It's how, it's, how, it's how dudes dance with each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, no, I mean, I, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, Melvin McKnight was in a band called New Breed, and they were killing. They were fantastic. Him, a guy named Dusty, and a bass player, Jason Martin. They're fucking fantastic. And they opened up for Bad Brains one day. Hmm. So I went to go see them, and I remember taking off my shirt, jumping on the stage, just whew, jumping backwards, complete and utter strangers caught me, moved me around the crowd, put me down, you jump in the mosh pit and you're, and you're getting fucked up, everybody else getting fucked up. And yeah. it's true. The minute you hit the ground, that same Doc Martin that was about to kick you in the head, it's like some tattooed hand comes down and grabs you and pulls you and goes, you okay, bro? All right, cool. And then throws you back in. It's just like, I was like, oh my God, man. And there was no, and I know there's a lot of like, we don't, again, we don't need to go down this path. I know there was a lot of racism and shit that went on back in those days, but I never felt it at those shows. I never felt like mm -hmm. the, the skinheads I knew were really cool people. Well, from you what, know what I mean? understand and this is all speculation i heard and and this could be complete bullshit and i could be proven wrong i heard it got bad in the 90s where that could be true. violent and the skinheads starting because there are two kinds of skinheads the original skinheads were anti-racist um mm -hmm. i actually know at least one that was an original skinhead that was you know an anti-nazi skinhead and then somehow that did get co-opted and turned into racist and and bad yeah. But the 80s metal scene, there was casual racism because um, there was always casual racism. Uh, but I, th I, what you're talking about, the rate, I think it got hardcore where it got evil later on, the longer it mm -hmm. went on. Where, where... Maybe. Well, anyway, yeah, I, I, I think your point is, is, is valid. Like, I remember not that being a musician the way I was 
Like, yeah, I mean, to a degree, it was like all the misfits found a home because our instruments got along. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which somehow made us get along, which made us overlook the fact that, like, one of the guys has a mohawk, one of the guys is a dark-skinned cat from, uh, forgot what country he's from in Africa, with a shaved head. There's me, an African-American, my next-door neighbor, like, a white kid with long hair. And you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like it somehow none of that shit mattered because we all made music together. And none of that, like, literally none of that shit mattered. And it's true, that was the place in which I felt the most at home and the most accepted and the most able to be me. To come full circle, we sucked. But we didn't know it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we didn't fucking know it. Like, we thought we were killing it. You know, we play our high school and shit, and people would love it because they didn't know any better either. You know what I mean? But we sucked. We were terrible. We were I, awful. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, Gene Simmons said this. He said, you get into music to get laid. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that's entirely true. But I do remember when, when the band I was in played our high school. I mean, we packed it. We, we promoted the shit out of it. We went to schools that were 30 miles away. And we, we packed it from like, hey, are you, you, you're a teenager and you're bored on a Friday or Saturday night, whenever it was, come to this school and see a band. And uh, all, all I remember of the takeaway is, and I still didn't get laid after it. <laughs> you're on stage. Everybody coming to see the band. Now when it's all over, it's like, yeah, you go back to me. <laughs> I, I had a friend who said, if you can't get laid after your gig, your band sucks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dude, that, that uh, yeah. <laughs> That's some shit that'll give you some insecurity though, right? Because if you believe that and then you don't get laid after a gig, it means you suck, right? Like then all of a sudden, acceptance of who you are is contingent upon somebody else, right? Like in a weird way, right? Like it means that like, if this woman doesn't say yes to you, you actually aren't good enough. That's what that says, which is crazy, but a crazy thing. I'll go you one further. Um, And I agree with you because I'm not gonna go into any of the details because it would take too long. But you, uh, and I'm going to change the name, the, the first real relationship I was in with Judy, um, when she left me, that, in my mind, proved that no one would ever love me. She was a yeah. visual representation, or a, not a visual, she, she was the manifestation of what I'd been telling myself my whole life. No one will ever love yes. me. And then yes. so she sort of hooked up with me and then went, mm, now nah, I'm done with you. I'm going to go off with this guy because he's better than you. That's, you know, that was it. That that hit home with everything that had been, you know, like no one will ever love you. Everyone's better than you. Um, this is why women reject you. This is why you have no friends. I mean, it was uh, probably, I don't know about the law of attraction, but uh, if I manifested it or brought her into my life so that I could get over that hump, because after that, that's when I went into therapy for a couple of years and learned that it wasn't, her really breaking my heart. It was my whole life leading up to that point that I needed to get over. 
So she was just the, again, another straw that broke the camel's back, but in a very ultimately healthy way. Because once you talk yes. about relationships and power dynamics, if you're giving, you know, 60, 70% always, as opposed to, you can always fluctuate between 50% on each side, 60, 40, 55, 45. But when one person's always giving more, the power dynamic, the power dynamic is off. And I don't know where I'm going with this other than yeah, it's not a healthy relationship. Well, it's again, it, it's it's you're putting your needs secondary to somebody else's. That that's where I was going with that. I knew you had said yeah. that. Thank you. That that's what brought it yeah. home. And I remember, I can remember actively doing that and thinking to myself, "Well, they shouldn't have to deal with this. I can handle it. I can handle the the whatever it was." And I somehow felt it was noble, like it was a noble thing to put my needs second. And I can remember times where I wanted to put my needs first. And somebody said, that's really selfish. And I'd be like, oh, wow, that sucks. I don't want to be selfish. But I was thinking, but your needs always come first. How does that not make you selfish? Like, how does it make me selfish when I do it? But when somebody else does it, they're just standing up for themselves. And that, Like, it took me a long time to see the hypocrisy in some of the stuff. Because, again, this stuff starts happening when you're so young that you believe it. And if nobody challenges that belief, like, yeah, I'll stop because it'll just get tangential, if that's a word. Well, I want to bring up a story that may embarrass you. And if it does, uh -oh. no. But it also, uh -oh. I don't want to say embarrasses me, but the way I would talk to you today is so much different than the way I did talk to you back then when we were in college. Sure. I'm going to say a name and then you can tell me whether or not it's okay to talk about this. I believe it was Melody. Remember her? Yeah, I, I do. I don't. Um, I do. I remember very much. I remember a lot about her. I remember how much time I wasted trying to woo her. That's where I was going to go. Remember you know? how I tried to woo her? You just went to where she worked and would hang out with her every day. And, oh, yeah. and I, I don't say this to be mean to you, but you, because I told you, you, you were her lapdog. You would go just keep her yeah. company. And then she'd go out and fuck other guys or do whatever, date other guys. And I'd yeah, be like, just I mean, in the effort, show her you love her. And it's like, she was, and I'm not saying that's the wrong advice for the right woman. Like if she had been someone that was interested in someone that doted upon her, it would have worked, but you would go hang out with her. And then she was just like, oh, it's so nice if you hang out with me. Okay, I'm done with my shift. I'm gonna go out with this guy. And then you'd come home and go, yeah. what's not working? And I'd be like, I don't know, dude, just keep putting in time. And as like, you and I were stuck in a, I guess, a shame spiral where you were doing something stupid. I was giving you horrible advice and she was, I don't want to say taking advantage of you, but she used I mean, you for what you gave her. Yeah, I mean, and, and I can very much look at it. I could see exactly how it's not her fault. Like I could see how like everything I did was what you would do to be someone's good friend. It's yeah. that kind of thing that like, I don't want to say, gives women the illusion that men and women can be friends because of course men and women can be friends, right? But like, I think a lot of times when men are interested in women, they try to get in through the avenue of friendship, which I don't know is an actually... I mean, I know a lot of people end up being with their best friends and they say that their spouse is their best friend and all that other stuff. And I've had plenty of relationships that started off as friendships. And then at some point, something shifted 
and it turned into something else. So sometimes it is the right move. Do you know what I mean? Oh, but I, I, think, I said if that had been the thing she responded to, it would have worked. And maybe she just needed to be more mature. But, maybe you need to be more mature, more confident, more open. I think that I think that's what it is. I think that like it's not about not being friends with a person. It's about having boundaries. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. When I was like when I was trying to to date Melody, I didn't have any boundaries. Like she had plenty of boundaries, right? But I had zero, you know what I mean? And so because of that, I think that like, and it's not even just men and women, I think it's just people in general. Absolutely. If you don't actually, if you don't, if you don't establish boundaries, people don't always respect you. And it's, and it's, and it's very unconscious. It's not like they think to themselves, I don't respect this person. But like, if, if you are always available, you never have anything going on and you do whatever they want, no matter what, whether it, whether it pains you or doesn't pain you or whatever, there's something about that that just like doesn't garner respect, even though people can really like you and even love you. I don't know that they respect you. Again, I don't know that that's true or not, but it is I, you know. Horrible example and i apologize for this um I, I i may have thought differently as a teenager but as an adult i remember watching pretty in pink and just being there's no way ducky ends up with her there's no way ducky ends up with her like as a right. teenager you think but he did everything right you know ducky was you know right exactly ringwald was was melody and you were ducky and just always there and always the best friend and like hey i like you so much but when you watch as an adult you're like like you just said, you don't respect Ducky at all. You're like, Jesus Christ, dude, you're annoying. Okay, you you right. are just this little right. yippy puppy that no one would end up with. But it's a real problem because like, you're kind of taught verbally, right? Not visually, right? Like I can look back throughout my years and I can see that the kind of women, the kind of men that most of the women were attracted to growing up like not women, like girls and boys, right? Were dudes who, they didn't have to be mean, but they had boundaries. They said no occasionally. They, they stood up for themselves when they needed to, right? Like, and it's like, that's not like, they weren't, they didn't have to be mean. I always thought it was like, you had to be an asshole. But there was a point in my life where I thought that kind of standing up for yourself meant you were an asshole, right? Like telling somebody else no, or something like that meant that you were being somehow like in the wrong. I don't know. I mean, I, I do know how I learned those lessons, but I do know. But but like verbally, we get told that it is noble to do make sacrifices or these certain things, right? All these stories talk about how this person sacrificed this for this. Or I mean, in my mind, that's what like what's the movie the the angel gets his wings and oh, blah 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 cage. no no it's a wonderful it's life is that right like i always look at that movie and i think right like the guy makes all kinds of these crazy personal sacrifices for everybody around him and that's what makes him the hero of the story right is his ability to sacrifice his desires to get out of the town and do different things and have this other life to in order to be this person for everybody else and that's portrayed as this noble thing. And there's so many movies that use that do that, that portray like humility as nobility and like 
like poverty as as like would give you strength and all kinds of stuff you know the beauty of it's a wonderful life though is that it's only at the end that he he gets his reward it doesn't happen in his 20s or they're in like he is so beaten down by life like you said he has sacrificed his whole life and only when push comes to shove does everybody come through. It's not a matter of everyday like, hey, you right. But I mean, but like, but let's be honest. But that I'm saying might be the problem. That. But saying. that might be the problem. Like in oh, real life, does that happen? Like in actual life, you make all the sacrifices and you just do all the I have a huge Charlie horse and I am in pain. I apologize. <laughs> oh my I, I wish I could have walked this one off and like just paid attention to you, not interrupted, but Oh, everything just locked up in my calf. I'm so sorry. It's all right. It happens. Oh, bones. All I do is cross a leg and everything. Okay, I'm so sorry. Continue. I am so but sorry. Like, like, in real life, does that happen? Because, like, that's that's what I mean. Like, 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 we grow up on these stories where being the noble, sacrificial person, you get your rewards. It's also the same thing they told Black people. Not a lot, everybody. You get your, all the poor folks, all the disenfranchised folks, right? Don't worry. Now that you've accepted Christ into your life, your life might be horrible here. You might be the worst of the worst here. But when you die, you go to heaven and everything is great. So don't worry about it. Right? Yeah. Like, like we get these, these messages. And again, you learn them as a kid. You ingrain them. And I mean, I must have been in my early to mid twenties before I actually started developing real boundaries. You know what I mean? And putting oh, I myself early 30. You know, that was, I mean, yeah. Like I, I can say that it, it, and it happened largely because I was hanging out with a bunch of people who were kind of just worthless, <laughs> not worthless, but like, like it felt good to be the guy who had, gone to college and was kind of smart and could do some things and could play around a bunch of people who had their own crazy deficiencies but I could feel it's like why you watch Jerry Springer and shit you know because it makes you feel superior right and it wasn't that because these people were genuinely, genuinely my friends right but and they're not bad people it was more just like we were kids and we were all just stupid you know what I mean but I can remember hanging out with women and having like sometimes the the cats who were just like the worst, like the worst people ending up with a woman that I like repeatedly. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And I was like, I must be, I'm doing something wrong. Like there's something that's going on here that I'm doing wrong because out of a clear choice, she made this one yeah. and then another one made that one and another one made that one. And I'm like, I, I must be doing something wrong. You know I, what I mean? Shining example for me. And I, I, I apologize for this to anybody watching was Sandra Bullock and Jesse James, the, the tattooed freak uh, is like mm-hmm. the instant they hooked up. I'm like, huh? You know, she's America's sweetheart at the time. She's, she's this, uh, why? And then, I, I really hate to say this, but when it all fell apart, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get that. Like, that's what every guy saw coming from the beginning. Every guy looked at Jesse and said, we know him. We, we know his character. We know who he is. 
And so when he cheated and said, oh, I cheated because I was insecure. I can't believe I landed Sandra. It was like Sandra, whatever. And it was, it was like, yeah, but it's, I it just, that was the one that me, that it took me a big, huge celebrity wake up to say, okay, sometimes I don't, I don't want to say sometimes women may make bad choices, but I'm not sure how else to phrase it. Sometimes. I mean, I think here's the thing. I think that young people make bad choices. Thank you. you know what I mean? Thank you. Thank you. I, I don't take think women make bad know. choices. That was yeah. an incorrect statement. Yeah. People all make bad choices. That's yeah. especially when you're young. And, 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 and here I am having you know, five minutes ago talking about Judy, who who I knew would damage me, and yet I I chased after and sacrificed for until it was until I was depleted and had to go into therapy. Bad yeah. choices. Very dumb. Yeah. Yeah. You just made bad and 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 you made bad choices. She made bad choices. It's just what. That's what being young is not. It's not about, but it's kind of is. Like it is. You, you you make a lot of bad choices until you learn how to make good ones. It's and there was a, a stupid meme. Hopefully you learn because otherwise, yes, I know people in their thirties and forties who are still making bad choices, and it's like, come on. I mean, at some point, you have to yeah. grow and learn. I mean, but but things get habitual. Do you know what I mean? It like it just becomes, it just becomes habitual, right? To, like to stay in a pattern than it is to to break out of it. And and that's that's the really and and oftentimes what it takes is somebody to teach you. Hmm. Like that's often what it takes is somebody takes you and teaches you the right way to manage your money. Like if you don't know how to do that, then it's not just enough to want to be able to manage your money. Just again, it's like just because I understand where the root of my insecurities and shame where they started, I get it. It doesn't mean that just because I understand it, automatically my insecurities and shame vanish, right? You yeah. still have to go back and excavate and go through the stuff, and it's painful and it's hard, and nobody actually wants to do it. It's like again because. It's like what started half this with the music and the teenager thing is like the hard part about learning how to play an instrument as an adult is you have to go through that suck period, but you know you suck, right? Whereas when you're a kid, you don't know you suck. So it's okay to go through that period because you, you're just completely oblivious until you realize later on in life when you're actually good that, wow, I really sucked back then. But yeah. in the time, you have no fucking idea. You know what I mean? Like you just have no idea. And as an adult, you do know that you suck. And so you know you have to take hundreds of shitty solos, maybe even on stage in front of people, to get to where you actually know how to take a solo that's good. Right? Like you got to go on stage, start off okay, and fall flat on your face. Come home, practice a little bit more. Go back and do it again and again and again and again and again and again until it takes you, until you can go longer and longer without falling on your face. You know what I mean? And then you just have to do that over and over and over again until you can actually stand for the whole song. Then you can run through the whole, and then you can do backflips and you just don't fall down. But that time might be, that might take a couple of years and, you, and you're painfully aware of it. It's like something you said in the beginning when we we're talking about all this stuff. I wonder, because between men and women, men and women have all kinds of insecurities as it surrounds sex and marriage and relationships and boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. And we just have all kinds of stuff. Men have their stuff, women have their stuff, right? But Usually do you find, 
But yeah, it is. It's exactly the same stuff. Right. I might boil down to what I said earlier. I think, I don't think I'm unique in the slightest with that nagging, no one will ever love me. I think that's probably pretty universal. That's most people. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah, just most, most people. But I think many people aren't aware of it because they bury it with whatever their vice is. You know what I mean? But I wonder when you get outside of the realm of intimacy and interpersonal close relationships, right? Romantic relationships, right? Do you find that when you do comedy, you have that same sense or that same feeling or like, because rejection is just part of the game, right? Like for every hundred clubs you email, you might get one gig and sometimes you may get 10 gigs and maybe sometimes you get 50, but like, it's all just a numbers game. Like you just go over and over and over knowing full well that half the people aren't even going to look at your shit, let alone the ones who are going to look at it and say, no, do you know what I mean? Do you find that like, in that area, you're much more okay with accepting rejection as part of the job? Yeah, because this is gonna sound, uh, going back to, I'm the cook in this situation, maybe I'm delusional, but I don't take it personal because I know they're not rejecting me. I mm-hmm. have a really strong sense that, like you said, they're not even looking at my shit. I, um, yeah. I'll tell you two quotes, and this is just comedy specific. Uh, back in the day when you would actually uh, send a packet with a DVD in it before everything was digital, I stopped at a club to do a guest set. And, uh, you know, we're talking to the manager owner. I'm like, hey, I sent you a press kit. Did you get it? And he's like, hey, listen, let me show you something. And he showed me like a small stack of press kits. He's like, I get at least 10 of these a week. And I'm like, okay, so that's two a day. You can't open two, but I didn't say that. But to even drive it but he i knew he he wasn't opening him he, he would just get it and set it on a stack so he wasn't even it was easier for him to just like hire people he knew and then you know whoever he knows can bring another comic like hey you're hired bring someone to open for you that is still done today. and then the when, other story i'll tell you really quick is there's a club that went out of business that before it went out of business the owner said to me i can guarantee that 90% of the people living inside my own zip code don't know I'm here. I can also guarantee, this was in Illinois. It was a small club in a small town in Illinois. He said, I can also guarantee that 100% of the comedians in Miami know I'm here because they all email me looking for work. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I know that's what I'm up against when it comes to getting rejected. I don't take it personal because I know one, they're overwhelmed and two, a lot of them don't work really hard. A lot of them aren't in it to like find the next, next biggest and greatest talent. They're just in it because you know, it's what they chose. You know, to do. Though, but here's the funny thing, you know, Todd, uh, mm-hmm. Todd Gardner, there was a point at which he was booking music at Delta's, right? This is a, a kind of a, a soul food restaurant slash music venue that I used to play, right? It's owned by two friends of mine. And he's really good friends with them as well. So there's a point at which he was handling the music. And I remember going over his house one day just to record something for him, whatever. And there was just stacks of CDs, just stacks. And I said, what's all this, dude? Seriously, because he's a vinyl guy. He's a DJ. He's a vinyl guy. You know what I, mean? I was like, what is all this? He goes, this is all people who want gigs at Delta's. 
And like, and he had been doing it for three weeks or a month. And like, yeah. And I said, have you listened to all this stuff? He goes, I tried. And that's the thing. In the beginning, you listen to everything because you yeah. think you might be missing something really good. And then after a month of listening and like 98% of it is just utter garbage. Mm-hmm. Just utter garbage, right? You stop listening and you call your friends. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like you listen and a couple people got lucky because they caught you in a window where you were look, you were interested. And every now and then some package comes in and it's packaged just nicely and you're in the right mood and the stars aligned and you had your fruit smoothie or whatever and you just open it up and it happens to be good and those people get a gig, right? Like it does happen, you know what I mean? I just, I haven't thought of this in years. Uh, again, the club is gone. Um, God, I wish <laughs> more of these clubs would last. Um, I, I was working with a guy emailed me and said, hey, uh, I liked your press kit. I'll hire you, come on out and work the club. And I did, and he was driving me to morning radio. He said, I'll pick you up at the hotel because it's a lot of clubs do that because you don't know that this is before GPS. So they would just say, you know, and plus they don't trust comics who, you know, aren't morning people. So you've got to do morning radio at 6 a.m. I will come get you and take you to the morning radio. Um, we're driving and he had a DVD player in his car and he flat out told me, he said, what I do is I get these press kits and whenever I'm driving around, I just pop in the DVD and as I'm driving, if it makes me laugh or if I like what I'm hearing, then I'll look at the rest of the kit. But And he said nine times out of 10 or even more, he said, I just take the DVD out and throw it out the window. <laughs> he said flat out, he will just throw it out the window. And I, I worked at a comedy club. Uh, and I'm still friends with this woman. I'm still friends with her. Uh, again, comedy club is gone. Hasn't been around in years. But she was she was the, uh, I don't want to say receptionist, because they didn't have a receptionist. Whatever front of, like, there was the general manager and manager. And then there was his personal assistant. You know, like, she had no power. She's the ticket girl. Like, it's not a hierarchy mm-hmm. like an off- office. But, um and she was the one in charge of, she just went about her day and she said, I put it on in the background. And if I heard people laughing, then I'd look at it. And then I'd sort of watch it if I really caught my attention. And she called me and said like, so I get which hump you have to make yeah. it over. You have, I mean, they yeah. are not sitting down yeah. in front of the thing like, all right, let me watch this comedian. No. Yeah, they're putting it on in the background I mean, and you have to grab their attention from that to begin. Yeah. And, then, and that's and, if, and, as you said, they're watching it in the first place. Right. And they have to also be in a good mood. Yeah. Right. Because like plenty of times people will send me music to record over like, oh, put a bass line on this, whatever. And if I'm in a bad mood when I open up the file, because I always open it up just to see what it sounds like to get a mental map of what my workload's going to look like, you know. And I'm, if I'm in a bad mood, like, oh, this isn't that good. Then when I'm in a good mood later on, I'm like, oh, I'm ready to go do that thing. I like, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought. Like, that's the problem is like yeah. your ears and your sense and your is all is largely based on your mood. So the person's got to be in a good mood, ready to do this. Like, like all these things have to align for them to want to, to like Katie and I went through that when we, we were booking tours and stuff to book a, a, a three week tour takes months of time. Yeah. At least for us, because, you know, and it's just hundreds of emails trying to route it and do all this. It's not. And most people don't even open up your email. 
Because I mean, like you know, if you got if you got fifty CDs a week, you get five hundred emails. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, holy shit, dude! Yeah, it can't be one, easy. One last story for you. Um, I haven't thought of this in years. I still have the email somewhere. Guy emailed me three something a.m. and there were spelling errors, and I don't think he meant. Maybe he'd mentioned in passing, like maybe it's because I've been drinking, but I don't get what you're doing. And it's like, yeah, you're you're putting my DVD in at three a.m after a long night of doing whatever and you've been drinking and then you thought it was a good idea to email me with the timestamp like i don't get you you're not that funny like mm -hmm, thanks <laughs> you're the guy in charge of my career not in charge of right, my career. no but, you but are he's the one gate of the gatekeepers he's yeah. one of the gatekeepers yeah dude yeah that shit is real so i mean again to tie it all around i feel like when you said I'll wait for them to come to me. You're right. That works because you stand on stage. It works because you stand on stage, right? If you did not do something where people could get to know you, see something, because I've had that experience where like, I'll play a gig and someone will come up, a woman will come up to me like, oh my God, you guys are so good. Can I buy you a drink? Right? And I'm like, oh, that's really sweet of you. You know what I mean? And I'll say, the club gives us free drinks, so let me get you something. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Like, you know, and, but like, that's a real thing, right? When Melvin and I were running into New York, we were thinking about moving to New York. So we got like these jobs in the fashion district. We're doing like sample sales, which is, I guess, when all the designers take their samples and put them out for sale for people. So models would come in all the time and just walk around topless and just throw shit on the ground as if like, you know, it's completely ridiculous. Like, but it was a fun little gig, right? And we got paid cash. I think there's a lot of shady shit going on in those things, you know, a lot of shady shit. Um, but like in that job, very few people approached us. Like, hey, what are you guys doing after after this, after your shift is over? And I'm not saying that- Buy this top, and then I'm gonna fuck you. Right, I, like, I don't know that there's some hierarchy of like, it's not a value thing, it's just a different thing, right? If you're standing on stage in front of a, a good number of people, they're all focused on you for a certain amount of time. And they, it just, there's a connection that they feel. So they can walk up to you and say something. Whereas like, even if they wanted to, if you're, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't well, know. I, said, that I got lucky. Would, you know what I mean? There's, as yeah. I said all the way back then, if I was in IT, it, in any situation, a workplace situation, even before all the harassment regulations we have today, <laughs> it takes a lot of courage for one person to approach another person and say, hey, um, I, I notice you when you get your morning coffee. Um, uh, you want to get coffee with me? I mean, putting yourself out there is humbling. It can be humbling yeah. unless you have a, a great thick skin or a, uh, an internal apathy that allows right. you to just like, be heard, be, be, hear the word no and go, yeah, I'm okay with that. But do you remember this guy wrote a book called Rejection Proof? I think he had like a, uh, he had a, a startup company that he started and the company was, uh, and, and like the, the angel investor, or whatever, was listening to it and listening to it. And at the final moment said, no, we're not interested. 
So the guy was like, holy shit, and he was crushed. And like for weeks and months, and like all of a sudden, he put all his money in it and everything. And he realized at a certain point that he couldn't take rejection. So he decided he was going to go start asking people to do things oh, that were crazy that he knew they would say no to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, rem- uh, I, I gave you that book. I didn't, I didn't remember it's called Rejection Proof, but yeah. Yeah. And right. And it was actually really interesting because what he found is that like, while some people said no, many people said yes. Once he really asked in a, in a, in a reasonable manner, people started to say yes to him. And but I was like, oh, that's interesting. But he also got used to hearing no and it stopped bothering him so much, you know? Yeah. But I also remember reading, I enjoyed the hell out of the book. I, I remember enjoying it, but I also remember um, it, rejection is there are degrees because I still, even after reading the book, it, there, there's something different between what he did was go into a donut shop and say, can you make donuts like the Olympic rings? Or he would go knock on a random door and say, can I plant a, a plant in your, can I bear, dig a hole in your backyard and plant a plant? I want to put this tree, a, a, whatever it was. And I'm like, yeah, that's all easy shit. You tell me to walk up to a stranger and do something stupid. If they say no, I'm fine. You know, like, you know, like yeah. I'll go anywhere and knock on a door and say, hey, uh, can I water your plants? It's uh, for a, a scavenger hunt. And if they say no, I go, okay, you know, but that's right. a lot different from, okay, I need a million dollars for my seed, for seed money for my company and or I've had a crush on this girl for a month. I'm finally gather, gathering up the courage to, I mean, rejection from the girl you've had a crush on for a month that will destroy you, but will make you stronger, faster than the other ones. Maybe it's a matter of baby steps and you hear no enough that the, the big no's don't mean anything. But I think there's a big difference between a no that doesn't matter and a no that resonates with you. Yes. I, I will say, if we're talking about women specifically, there was definitely a point in my 20s where I said, okay, when I see a woman and I feel intimidated, that's the one I will approach. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I realized, I think I'd read some book where one of the former presidents realized that fear was holding him back. And so he started like doing his, like tackling his greatest fear, sleeping in the woods by himself overnight and doing this. And I think in the end he ate a rat or something just absurd. Like, and I was like, okay, that's a bit extreme. Like he cooked it or whatever, but still that's a little extreme. But I remember that now again, this is in the days when you could go to a club and talk to a woman and it wasn't, like, I don't want to say it wasn't harassment. It was kind of just like, and not that like they loved it or hated it, but they got to be the judges of whether or not it was harassment or creepy or good, depending on what, how their response, you know what I mean? Like, it was a weird thing. Like, if they're like, oh, get away from me, creep, well, that's harassment. But if they're like, oh, of course you can buy me a drink, stranger, you know what I mean? Then that means it's okay, right? And I don't know what whether it was wrong or right, like these days I wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? I wouldn't do those same things because I would just assume I would be wrong, which I don't know how people are supposed to meet each other. Like I have no idea. I, I mean, really like, and I'm not saying that because I think that harassment is bullshit because I think the harassment is very real. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine like I talk to women and they say, now that we get to wear masks and the shit, like no dudes are like, smile, honey, and all that dumb shit. So like, I get it. Like, there's tons of women who are super happy that they get to wear fucking masks. And, you know, when they go places, because people leave them the fuck alone. 
You know what I mean? So, like, I get it. I can say that back when we were younger, that's just kind of how people met. You know what I mean? Not that it was okay, but it's kind of like, and I don't mean to sound like when people go, well, you know, we called them coloreds when I was a kid. It's just what you called them. You know what I mean? But they're, but they're also not wrong. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, as stupid as it sounds, that is what they called them back. They called them, you know, those you, people. Right? Let me jump in here. I think it's just a matter of, and this is uh, age. I think, is it a movie or a book or an album? The kids are all right. Was that a Who album? Was that a, I want to say yes. A movie. Either way, the, the kids are going to be fine because they will grow up in the world. I mean, it's, it's old people that lament change that say, oh, yes. back in my day, we did this and how are kids going to do it? Kids are just going to grow up and it's going to be normal to them. Yeah. It's right. why you and I touched on in passing and we don't need to go into detail or depth on this. Um, I see on Facebook like, oh, what is coronavirus doing to the kids? There was, there was, um, I'm, I'm going to mm. do my best not to, to make fun of this woman or belittle her. Joe Biden did a town hall meeting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin recently. And one thing that made the news was a mom had her eight-year-old girl uh, there. And she said, my eight-year-old girl asks me, mommy, am I going to get coronavirus and die? And Biden's response made the news, which is no, honey, please don't worry. You're, everything's going to be fine. And people say that the gener kids are getting destroyed by this. And it's like, no, you're destroying your kids. I've got two kids. They're, they're six and eight and they're fine because it's all in the approach. If they see you, oh my God, we're going to get coronavirus and die. We're going to get coronavirus and die. You're gonna, that's going to be instilled in them. My kids, mm -hmm. why do we have to wear a mask? It's coronavirus. We have to wear it until they say we don't. Oh, okay. And then they put the mask on. Kids are malleable. They are accepting. And if that's you true. treat everything as fear, then they will feel it we're just telling them that coronavirus is a disease and we have to make it through and that's that. And so when it comes to dating, kids will grow up and, oh, I have to use an app. Okay. Oh, I have to sign a contract that says, you know, I'm going to approach you and ask you on a date, you know, check here for yes, if I can ask you like it, whatever it will be, right. that will be there. But, I mean, but do you think that then the, a lot of the, the real issues are generational issues, right? Like if, if you and I grew up in a time where, like, I mean, dude, my, my godbrother grew up in Newark, in the hood, right? And his approach to women was walk up to them, take what they're drinking out of their hand, take a slurp out of it, and give it back to them and tell them whether or not he thought it was good or not. And then they would start laughing like it was funny. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? And then he would get the woman's phone number. And two days later, I'd hear them up in, in my bedroom having sex. And I was always just like, what the fuck? Now, is that harassment? Obviously. In a modern context, that's obviously harassment. To walk up to some strange woman, take some drink out of her hand and drink it. But I don't know that that woman was offended by that. Do you know well, what I mean? No, she could have been. But like, like, I don't know how to say this without sounding ridiculous because maybe it is partially generational. Like when people go, well, those are the colored. Oh, that colored boy. She's friends with the colored boy, the colored kid around the corner. 
but like I don't know when I, when I read the words of black people I don't hear a lot of black people being angry at the word colored except the ones who grew up when black people were called something different and then we have the national advancement of the national organization and the WACP for colored people right it's like right like it wasn't actually a horrible thing to be called a Negro or to be called United Negro College Fund is that still a thing right yeah right so you're right to be called a Negro to be called colored but now if somebody called me colored I'd be like what who the fuck are you talking to like is that a generational thing do you know what I mean like like I wonder like because the same thing is true with with now I don't. That doesn't mean that harassment is generational, right? Because I'm sure there are plenty of women back then who would have, my god brother would have approached them and they would have felt like attacked. But if you know what I mean? Well, let me like, let me jump in. I, I don't know. Like it's a weird use, thing. You know what I mean? I want to use your own explanation for you. Um, I think it's just a personal thing where I said uh, that stupid thing where I said uh, women make bad choices and you said people make bad choices. And I went, yes, it's a personal thing. And this is very stupid because it's a cartoon, but it was a very insightful cartoon. It had a lot of good King of the Hill. Um, uh, Hank wanted Bobby to hang out with Boomhauer and learn how Boomhauer was such a ladies man. Cause, cause uh, Bobby was, you know, Bobby and what Bobby learned and was turned off by, I, I, I wasn't turned off by it when I saw it. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Was that Boomhauer hit on every single woman. He just walked up and was like, and either it worked or it didn't. And it didn't work 90% of the time, 95% of the time, but the 5% of the time it did work, it worked. So I am not forgiving your God brother, but say 95% of the women were offended and felt harassed and were like, fuck you. Um, the 5% that worked on were the ones you heard him banging in your room. It, it's mean, a personal thing. I like, who knows absolutely. how much struck out with that approach. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also just, it's, in some ways it's cultural. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I don't know this for generational. I don't think you're wrong about right. generational. I think, I think what we try and do is paint broad strokes and say, you know, we're all people. We should all think the same things. We should all believe the same things. And and with this homogenous bullshit we're trying to preach these days, we forget that there are different ways of living life. And there were different ways, generational, cultural, you know, it, yes. shit's different. And yeah. hopefully it changes and grows better. But it doesn't yeah. mean judge what came before and condemn it. Unless it was outright sexist, racist, homophobic, wrong. Right. And some of it was, you know, but like if you, but like, I don't know this for a fact. I've never been there. My understanding is that if you're in Italy in the middle of summer and you're walking down the street and you're a good looking woman, the men hoot and holler and say all kinds of things. And I don't know that those women like it or don't like it. I don't know. But my guess is that when it happens in this country, women don't always like it. But when it happens over there, I don't know that it is the same as what we say here, right? Like, like there was a woman I met at a party who 
has a biracial daughter. The woman is white, her daughter's um, father is black, and mother is the, the white woman. And that biracial child fell in love with the dude in who's from Senegal, I want to say. And they had a kid, and they now live in France, right? And the woman who's basically African-American, the biracial woman, she's American, right? So when the Black Lives Matter thing happened, she was like all about it. And the mother was telling me that the, that the boy, that the husband didn't give a shit. He was like, oh, that's nice. And the daughter, and she and the daughter really pissed off that he doesn't see this. Now, I'm not saying that, that like, you know, they're not, there's not violence against people all over the world, but like, in his mind, he was like, those are black people. Those are African-Americans. Those are, that's not me. I'm this, you know what I mean? Like, and he's not wrong. Right, like, do do Black Lives Matter all around the world? Oh, sure they do. Like every, you know, like sure everybody's. Well, I don't mean like all lives matter as some kind of retort, like ridiculous thing, but like life matters, right? Life matters all around the world. Just life matters, right? But at the end of the day, lives matter the way you look at (laughs) humanity is right. But like, but the truth is, is like the Black Lives Matter movement is a specific movement, as far as I can tell, for African-Americans, which means that if you are a dark-skinned Brazilian cat, it doesn't necessarily, like, not that it doesn't apply to you, but it doesn't apply to you until you land in this country. Well, that's not to say, like, I don't, I don't, again, I don't know what Brazilian racial politics and stuff are like, so, like, but, but the, the thing is that, like, there are cultural differences between the way we interpret things and we interpret them through a cultural model, which may not always agree with your next door neighbor's cultural model to look at the same situation. Do you know what I mean? That's, I guess, my point. You, you've said this a couple of times in the podcast. You've said African-American and the new thing being taught in racial sensitivity classes is black with a capital B because I mean, the African ancestry is so old at this point that it's no, no, just black, and and but, so it's shifted in our lifetime. I mean, right? From, I don't, I don't remember the order: Negro, colored, African American, black. To it, it it's forever shifted. It was Afro American, then African American, and then yeah. But I mean, the thing is this, and this is the thing that bothers me the most about it. And I don't mean to sound again like these stupid people who call themselves patriots, right? Like, but black history isn't black history. It's American history, right? Like calling it black history and making it an optional class for people to take and then calling something else history. Making it separate. Right, it's like they were happening, right, they were happening simultaneously. And so if you just make, you just teach American history, just not from one perspective. Right. And and it's not about George Washington Carver and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Paul Robeson. It's about the day-to-day lives of black people 
who just lived their lives and did profound things with them. And maybe they did some stuff here. Maybe they did some stuff here. But like, when we look at, like when we look at the history of this country, we isolate a few of the important players, but there's a lot of ancillary stuff that you hear about. Well, the, the farmers did this and they did this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, just start talking about, just weave in African-American history with American history. So it's just history because we're all Americans, right? Yeah. And that's the thing that like, like I get why African-Americans wanted it because you have the Italian-Americans, the Irish-Americans, the German-Americans, the Japanese, like everybody got to claim where they were from, right? So African-Americans, so black people were like, hey, we want to be able to claim this too, right? But like at the end of the day, white people are just considered American. You know what I mean? Like after a certain standpoint, be German American if you want to be, but you're just an American, right? Well, and I, I think- I always make the joke know, I'm cracker American or hunky American. Right, I, you're right. To put something stupid. Right. Yeah, and I think that like for me, that's my, if we're gonna end this whole thing on the race thing, that's where my, my thoughts come in. It's like when we watch the people like, well, Thomas, like they storm the Capitol and they do this and they do that. And everyone's like, or even that, that woman, Central Park Karen woman, right? Like who said all that stuff about that guy. And then everybody said, well, she took these five hours of racial sensitivity and now the prosecutor dropped the case. And I'm like, well, but that's just another example of white privilege. I'm like, maybe, sure looks like it. But how about we say she lost her friend, she lost her house, she lost her job, she lost everything that she held dear because she did something that was fucked up, and then she took five hours. Like that's a transformative experience. Yeah. And what, like, were they supposed know, to put her in jail for that? I mean, I'm not right. saying she was I mean, a punishment, but I don't know how many. Right. Racial sensitivity training seems to be the correct approach. You did something that was wrong. We're going to teach you to be a better person, not you did something right. wrong. Now let's punish the shit out of you, which is already happening right. at a level. Right. And here, I, this I'm going to go out on a, a, a ledge here. I'm going to make a leap. And, and I've got it in my head, so it's going to take me some barfing up to, to get correct. And I might, I, may, I might speak out of turn. I'm going to guess that these same people that say black lives, not, not black people, the same white liberals that say black lives matter and champion black people are the same people who after Michael Vick got out of prison said, he's a dog killer. He doesn't deserve to be in the NFL again because he went back to the NFL. It's like, once you have served your time, no matter what it is, do we not forgive? Michael Vick right. went to prison. I hated what he did, but you know what? He went to prison. He was punished. Let him play in the NFL again. People were so upset by him playing in the NFL. She did something horrible. She is being punished on a societal scale, deservedly so on some levels. Even the guy that she called 911 on said she doesn't deserve to have her life destroyed. He's more forgiving than everyone else. Um, but yeah, she, she, she knows she did something wrong. And 
I, I guess I don't know. Do you, maybe maybe she should maybe instead of having the charges dropped, I, I automatically think prison. She should do racial sensitivity training, and then probably 500 hours of community service would have been appropriate, more appropriate. I think yeah. people want to get vindictive and punish, but I think she could have done some community service on top of the training. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. The question is, at what point is she not our sister? Right. Like, at what point do we no longer care about her? Like, at what point is she no longer a human? Like, at what point do we treat, do we decide treating her the way we feel like she treated him? At what point is that okay? Right. Like, at what point do we say, okay, like her job is gone? She had a great job, fucking gone. Right. She had a house, she had stuff that is all gone. And right, like, isn't the point to be education and if she learned why don't like at what point do we say okay do you know what i mean and let her back in the game you know what i mean like what do we you know two thoughts the first thought is when was the last time and i'll just ask you personally when was the last time someone screamed at you treated you like complete shit and you went huh i guess i should be a better person because they're yelling at me it, it doesn't really happen. That's not how it works. And then the second thought I had is I actively heard on a podcast yesterday or the day before, it's been six years since Rachel Dolezal got in trouble. And she just gave an interview where she said she still can't get a job. Now, I'm not forgiving what she did. But at the same time, six years of now, if she's still standing the same ground, I am a black woman, I identify. <laughs> I, I don't know the whole case. I'm just saying. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's dangerous territory, though. Yeah. Right? Like, she can. Can't she? Like, I know why she can't do it. But then we get into all kinds of arguments where then why do, like, where do you draw the line at what you're allowed to identify in right. because of how you feel? Like, is there a line there? Because clearly, if there is, she crossed it. Right. Or she's been honest and said, I'm a white woman that wants to teach black studies because I feel this strongly about it as opposed to pretending. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I mean, at what point do you stop? What I would say is, is, was she doing good? Like, I don't think she did it because she was some spy for the 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 the, the man. Right. You're on like, Get Rachel like, off. Get Rachel off. She, they brought, yeah. <laughs> we had her on I the think she, I think she actually was doing good. Like she was head of an organization that is designed to do good, and she didn't get there by, by doing shitty a shitty job. Like I don't think she got the job because she was quote unquote a light skinned black woman. I guess Maybe, she's still doing good. But I think she's, she's still. But she's I think she's freelancer. Doing job. She's still yeah. working as a freelancer, filling out grants for uh, black owned businesses. Like she's right. still like I, like I think she's actually really fucking good at her job. So at a certain standpoint, you got to ask yourself. Like, yeah, what she did was stupid and fucked up. But I, oh, God, it's like so touchy, this stuff. It's like. We've been canceled for everything else we've said in our I know, but like. But also, is it, and I don't mean this in a joking way, does she have a mental illness that needs to be addressed? I mean, what made her do that? Or is labeling her mentally ill because she identifies a black? Does that make me insensitive now and I get canceled because I'm not respecting someone's... I I mean, but but here's the thing. My guess is that... Like, most of the... Like, 
racism exists in, in all communities, right? Like, we can talk about all the racial shit that happened to me at the hands of white people, but we can also talk about all the racial shit that happened to me at the hands of black people. Telling me I was too dark or too this or too that, or if I speak this way instead of this way, then I'm this and not that, right? Like, there's all kinds of that, there's things. And so as a white woman, she would not have been able to rise up through those ranks. I don't think even if she was as good as she is. Yeah. I think it's like people lying about having a college degree and then going on to be the best professor at the college. You know what I mean? You know, like without lying, they couldn't have gotten in, but they did lie to get in, you know what I mean? But then they went in to do a really good job. You know, like, it's like a weird thing. Like, I think she's an asshole. And I think that there's other ways for her to have done what she wanted to do without lying. And I think it's kind of ridiculous, right? So I get why they fired her. One, because it's just fucking, it's just humiliating to be like, get duped like that. You know what I mean? Like that's gotta not look good for your organization, right? But at the same time, six years is a long time to bench your star player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not to say that she was the best in the organization, but she was the best in that version, in that little microcosm. Yeah. So, like, how long do you bench your star player because they're an idiot? You know what yeah. I mean? Again, I, 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 don't know I, don't... The, I don't really know the details. I really right. don't. I just know That's... Just what I was going to say is I don't know if she is acting in the same way, which is I want to get my job back as a black woman or if she wants to move on with her life as a, a repentant woman, someone that one of those someone that begs forgiveness and said, look, I did something really fucked up. Here's how I'm going to make it right. Let's move forward with me trying to do good by my mistake. It seems like we're stuck in this mode of fuck everybody for life for for eternity because of what they did, even if what they did was pretty fucked up, like, like the central yeah. part here. And, and the, I'm not forgiving either thing they did, but how much is enough? And, and in central park, Karen, maybe she didn't do enough. Maybe getting, you know, racial sensitivity right. without community service, that's not enough. And I guess I don't know what Rachel Dolezal has done. Has she made amends? Has she moved forward? Or is she just being punished for six years because she's standing her ground? I don't know. But if, if they're actively working toward, making right then we should forgive if they're not then i guess they're on their own i have no idea i mean the truth is that, is that, that like without some remarkably public act of forgiveness yeah. the world doesn't know right like we forgive all kinds of white supremacists who, yeah yeah i thought that's what it was and i didn't want to use the word because i wasn't sure i was going to be using it right but yes <laughs> i i feel like like we forgive white supremacists who say they've seen the light and write books about it and get on all the talk shows. Yeah. We forgive those guys all the time, right? We forgive people who were in gangs, child soldiers, all kinds of people because they had no choice, right? Like they were just, it was baked into them through their, where she was. I don't know that what was baked into Rachel Dolezal, you know what I mean? I don't know, but I also know that she, as far as I know, she did a good job. Right. And it's like the Michael Vick thing. It's like, yeah, the guy did something really fucked up. But he served his time. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to say that the prison industrial complex works, 
then it means that when people get out, you have to let it go. I heard in England that they do that. Like I heard in England, I don't know, I, it's all on some English cop show. So whatever, it could be not true. But like when you're out of jail, you're done. You served your time and you're done and they don't hold it against you. Like you can go get jobs and do shit. You know what I mean? And it's oh. nobody's fucking. What is? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Prime minister. But you know what I mean? Again, I don't know if that's true because whatever. It was like the London version of fucking uh, oh. Law and Order. You know what I mean? Some shit like that. You know. So who knows, right? But but well, it is so it's an interesting it thing. And tell us, and we'll talk about it next yeah. week because uh, I think we're bumping up on quite a quite a bit of time. Yeah, we are indeed. So anybody who made it this far, Nathan will send you a free CD. Uh, Spotify. You just, uh, you just. All right. Um, yeah. Antargoodwin.com is where you can find my friend, probably on this side, even though I'm seeing him right there. He's probably over there uh, on the screen, the reverse image. Um, you can also find him as the musical director at katiehenrymusic.com. She's got one album out, mm-hmm. High Road. They're working on the second. I can be found mm-hmm. at nathantimmel.com. And we recorded this on February 18th. So as I post it, you have a week next weekend, the 25th, 26th, and 27th. I will be in Cuyahoga Falls at the comedy club, The Funny Stop. So if you are anywhere near there, Akron, Cleveland, anywhere within a decent radius, come on down to The Funny Stop. All right, my friend, good seeing your face. Yeah, Uh, you as well, man. Continued recovery for you. Yeah, Uh, thank you, sir. Get some sleep if you can. And yeah, man. Get these get this freaking luggage from under my eyes. Jesus Christ. It's like I'm going on a trip somewhere. My God. Any uh, yeah. Yes, I can do that. Yes. Bye, everyone. Yeah.